not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back to another episode of Leaning Middle. Today we're going to be discussing one of the most tenuous and strenuous issues on Capitol Hill right now, and that is the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the nomination of Amy Coney Barnett. I am Eric. I'm Brian. And today we're going to try to look at the common ground both sides have on this issue and take a measured approach to the new Supreme Court nomination. Is there common ground? I think with this one, there is going to be a less political spectacle than Kavanaugh, because I think the Dems really want to make sure that they don't give Republican um, incumbents any kind of uh, ammo right before the election in terms of sound bites and sound clips. But I think we're going to potentially be seeing the changing of our judicial branch for the foreseeable future as well so uh, it, you're definitely going to see a change yeah. um, regardless of who goes in there because you you have got a very conservative president that has already appointed two yeah and so he's unprecedented I, has there ever been anybody that's been able to point three I think there has been, but three is definitely the max, and right. it has not happened for a long time. Okay. So um, why don't we start out with the passing mm-hmm. of our late great judge, yes. um, and uh, what made her so special? What um, you know made Ruth Bader Ginsburg such an icon was her unapologetic nature of her beliefs. And I think that's what made her a very controversial figure as well as a very effective legislature Um, because she immediately came in and understood that she wasn't going to compromise what she held true in her interpretation of the law. She was also somebody that was not a textualist, you know, which is obviously more of the conservative approach that the framers um, of the Constitution wrote it specifically as they intended and even if they were alive today they wouldn't think anything needed to be adjusted whereas um, you know more liberal judges kind of look at it from a mindset of like okay do these w- laws still work you know with the state of the nation today you know are these things really make sense and obviously like that happens sometimes we have amendments to our constitution for a reason so um it is important to consider but i think that's what made her such an icon is she was a woman who was not going to be told what to do by any man and you know rising to the supreme court in the move in you know in the height of the first feminist wave and um then sticking by her beliefs and becoming somebody who would advocate for the downtrodden or the less represented um, is kind of what elevated her to that status, I think, of kind of cult icon. So what is it about um, her that really created her as a cult icon? I mean, you had T-shirts and bags and uh, coffee mugs with her face all over it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was 
I know that she definitely um, was somebody to look up to um, for for young girls, uh, young women. Um, but what was it that that really kind of pushed her over to to this this um, this cultural icon? I think what it came down to was her fight in feminism. You know, she, the reason why even just women are able to get a mortgage today or health insurance in their own name is because of her and her decisions, you know, to force equal rights for, you know, a non-gender discrimination-based practices. And then she expanded that into racial as well as um, sexual and gender identity as well and kind of making those same protections. She was always a champion for equal rights. Isn't that what that position is supposed to be? In some people's idea, other people believe that equal rights based off of sexual identity and gender are actually not protected in the Constitution to some degree. You know, that's where you kind of get into the debate of textualism where, um, you know, potentially the new nomination. Uh, Amy is, you know, she worked for Justice Scalia as a clerk um, for the Supreme Court, and she very clearly has stated she has a textual belief in how the Constitution is interpreted, which means that she doesn't see, she sees the protection and equal rights of people who um, are gay or bisexual or just not cis and kind of um, straight individuals as a direct conflict with religious liberties. So... But aren't you supposed to keep state and religion separate? Yes, but our Constitution also does guarantee the ability to practice your faith uninhibited. And if part of practicing your faith is then you're forced to give something like birth control to somebody on your payroll because you're providing them with health insurance or you're you know, forced to employ somebody who goes against you practicing your faith uninhibited, that's where it starts to get convoluted there's always gray areas right yes so uh okay so why why amy it is very obvious that she has kind of been groomed you know she was put through kind of the supreme court factory if you will and uh more than anything is there is one reason trump has retained the evangelical vote is because they are very much and admittedly so most of them a one-party voting block Mm -hmm. they care about abortion overturning roe versus wade and ultimately their goal is to outlaw abortion um entirely to make it illegal and um not many judges are careless or reckless enough to directly go against Roe versus Wade. And uh, she actually has a history of doing so. I believe it might have been the 100th anniversary or some anniversary of Roe versus Wade being passed, probably 50 years would probably make sense timeline-wise. Um, some anniversary, she issued a two-page statement talking about how it was basically a flawed ruling. And that, you know, if given the opportunity, she would want to re- look at it again and believes that things could be overturned. And that is something that she has stated in the past. So it creates this conflict of interest where technically you would hope she would recuse herself from a judicial um, ruling that involves something that she's so heavily uh, oriented with in her faith. But it just kind of seems that she is a Christian conservative 
who is not scared of letting that be part of how she makes her decisions. So, okay, so you bring up she's a Christian conservative. Mm -hmm. Is it true that she's part of a group that was based or that the Handsmaid Tales were based off of? Yes, it was. And to a degree, it is... um, but not not that extreme, right? No, like they took. I was gonna say it is creative like, liberties with that show. <laughs> yeah, it's also like you know, there's there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. Where if you had never actually been in like a Catholic church and a Catholic ceremony before ever, and and showed up there one day and you weren't familiar with it, and then all of a sudden they're talking about turning wine into blood and bread into skin and their feet and everything, it looks pretty. You know, objectively, it looks pretty weird. So that's the other thing to kind of remember is when they say, like, oh, she was a handmaiden in this sect of Christianity. And it's like, yeah, it does sound pretty goofy. And I think to a degree it is a little goofy. I mean, it's definitely um, a different take. It's a more... um, But a a handmaid in that particular group means leader of women. Yes, exactly. As somebody that she is a group mentor but and again you know i don't want to make it an issue with her faith but if you do look into the doctrine of what that people's praise or praise people the group is is very focused on creating charisma and creating structure and um it basically i mean just to say what it is it has very much the outlining of the cult mentality so that's where i think a lot of red flags are being popped up. but you say you don't want to get into the um the labeling of her her faith in Mm -hmm. in the involvement of how she's going to rule but if she is that religious then it's it's going to be ingrained in everyday decision-making capabilities, right? Exactly, and that's the argument is, you know, Pence was making in the debate um, with Kamala Harris as he was saying that, oh, you know, like, you know, if she's she's a good legislator, she's a good judge, like, she'll recuse herself from decisions that interfere with her faith. And she's actually wrote uh, papers stating that some Catholic um, – judges should recuse themselves from death sentence cases because it goes directly against their belief system so they'd be unable to rule impartially but she's also stated on record that she would not recuse herself because she doesn't believe that Roe versus Wade would be overturned so there's the one side of the conservatives saying well if she's a really a good judge and deserves this position she'll absolutely be able to keep religion out of it. But then you have the left, which I think is echoing the question you're asking, which is saying, how? Yeah. You know? Well, but can't, you can separate the two, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me, because Joe Biden is a practicing Catholic. Yep. We know that Catholics are, are uh, against uh, abortion. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yet on his campaign trail, he's advocating pro-life. And I think that's where you're starting to see um, this degrade a little bit in just kind of the conservative evangelical right is they're realizing like, man, we are a one voter issue. And I think there is a harsh reality to abortion is you're never going to make it illegal. You know, you're never going to stop it, but you're going to make it much more dangerous and you're going to make it a lot more difficult for the tragic situations of when women – um, you know, or maybe in their second or third trimester, and they find out that 
their baby's going to be stillborn, you know, that that baby is not alive. Maybe it has a genetic defect where it's like skull didn't form and it's going to be dead within minutes of being born, if it even survives being born. Taking away abortion access also means forcing that woman to then carry that baby to term. And it's, it, nobody, you know, nobody really worries about, everybody's worried about the one buzzword that is Joe Biden supports late, late term abortion. And that's, those are the instances where it's that gray area. You know, nobody's championing, you know, removing a viable fetus and killing it. It's, it's the tragic situations of where it's necessary for the safety of the mother if that, um, fetus has already died and won't be viable. It's why are we then going to force a woman to potentially kill herself or harm herself by carrying that until it's naturally born? It, it, it creates massive health issues. So I think a lot of Catholics are now being able to say like, yeah, you know, the path of least damage is best. Obviously right. this is tragic and I don't think, you know, well, I, nobody's okay. pro-abortion. Everybody's pro-choice right. or pro-life. It's not everybody wants abortions. I think that's the biggest thing. Sure. What is the court standing on abortion right now? Like, She's going to sway it one way or the other, right? She could try, and what it comes down to is, yeah, I mean, like, she's right. Like, the likelihood of overturning Roe versus Wade is, like, minute, if we're being honest. And that um, makes it kind of a federal issue, but where she could have more of a say in some of these, um, abortion cases is by restoring more rights back to the state level. So what we're seeing is a lot of challenges in the Southern, um, states, Mississippi, Alabama, um, primarily that abortion clinics are being forced to have very, very over the top regulations in order to be able to provide abortion services, such as admitting privileges to a hospital within a specific um, distance, which, you know, medical professionals have time and time again said makes zero difference and is 100% a rule to just make it more difficult for rural abortion providers to exist, because if they're not near a hospital center, then they'll won't be able to um, do those procedures. So, so far, all of those have been struck down as overbroad by the Supreme Court. But in the last ruling where Gorsuch um, actually flipped and voted with the liberal branch, as well as Roberts did, that upheld the abortion rights in Missouri, he, um, in his statement, said that this basically mimicked the law that they had already seen, but there is wiggle room for this to move forward in other capacities. So he basically said, hey, I'm not going to be voting, you know, pro uh, abortion rights moving forward. So there is absolutely the ability to make it a state level issue again, which would then allow state legislatures to decide how they handle women's rights, women's health care. Okay. So is abortion really the biggest subject on her or is there another subject that that really is kind of a a, a linchpin for for her nomination? I think from the right abortion and the potentials that she could, you know, inhibit that or overturn it is is the biggest mo- biggest thing for them, but on the left, um especially, you know, we talked about the Democrats wanting to not create a spectacle again. Mm-hmm. Um and I think they're going to focus focus primarily on the Affordable Care Act and how she, you know, is a textualist, so she's going to align with the others to strike down the Affordable Care Act and make it illegal, which 
again, in terms of during the midst of a global pandemic, would result in hundreds of thousands of America's, Americans losing health insurance. And it just, it gives you pause and you say like, man, you know, there isn't a solution for this that's been presented yet. So I think a lot of the Democrats are most worried about her potentially striking down the ACA as uh, unconstitutional. So is she going to strike down? Cause, and I don't know, I, I haven't looked into this as, uh-huh. as much, but is she going to strike down the affordable care act and say providing health insurance and care to all these people is not constitutional or whatnot, or yeah. is she going to say this version of it and which allows for some type of supplement health care to come in and, and take place because uh-huh. the Trump administration keeps saying, we're not going to take it away. We're, we have a plan. We're going to do something else where, you know, what, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. But the Biden side is sitting there going, oh, no, they're going to take away all of your, your health care, your pre-existing conditions, everything, you know, and if you're under 26 and with your parents, yeah. as we heard last night, absolutely, uh, kind of thing. So is she really striking down the fact that the government should be providing a state-based insurance plan or or um, it would option be striking down the entirety of the law so that is what's chaotic with it is even if it is just one specific aspect of it i mean it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater so it's not you so, know, so it's gone yeah. like okay so she's going to be a very controversial judge 100%. I mean, that's that's the, you know, the topic that we can kind of talk about is this has been the conservative strategy in government for the last at least 20 years, if not 30 years, which was, you know, um, hey, like it or not, America is a pretty progressive country. You know, just statistically, if we just go off the numbers, there's more liberals than there are conservatives. It's a trend that's continuing to happen. I think it's just normal. But most of those con- those liberals are in pocketed areas very yeah. large cities very metro metro metropolitan cities so are they really in touch with middle america well if you consider that 93 percent of america lives in some level of urban environment it yeah i mean like i understand the need for equal representation but at the end of the day when there is a clear majority that this isn't like a 60-40 split. Like, you know, we're looking at these issues where it's like the majority of the country, up to 65-70%, believes in access for abortions. You know, 60-70% to of the country believes in keeping the Affordable Care Act in some capacity. 60-70% believe in equal pay for women. You know, I think, I'm sure it's even higher than that. So it's, why is it that these conservative beliefs that the majority of the country actually does not belong with are now able to shape the law of our country. That doesn't make any sense in a democracy. Technically you you would hope that that wasn't the case, but they've seen, you know, the conservatives have seen that this trend was happening. And I think we're going to see in this election that it might be the last time that the uh, Republican party holds power in Senate or really in almost any branch of government. I think it will be very, very hard-pressed for them to recover if they lose in 2020. And they see that too. You know, they see it's a natural progression, even in, like, deep red states that you had never thought would be up for grabs, like South Carolina or North Carolina in the Senate are now 
very flippable, you know, very up in the air. So they see it happening, and they know that the one way that they can stuff their belief system in there, they can stuff ways for them to maintain power even while losing the majority, is through the judicial branch. And that's what they focused on continually. Okay, so let's talk about that then. If you're talking about they're they're trying to conserve some type of power uh, by um, getting this judge passed and in there, and which, real quick, before I finish my question, Mm -hmm. should we be voting on her right now? And that's the big that's the big question that's out there too. Oh yeah. And I mean, depending on who you talk to, we're in the middle of election. We're 27 days away. you know, do we even have the right to be having this mm-hmm. this conversation? Or if you take Trump's uh, argument the other night in the, the debate, you elected him president and he will be president until January 23rd or something like that. I think legally there's no issue with it. I mean, they're not breaking the rules. Um, they're being hypocrites, but that's, you know, not illegal. It's it's that's, part of playing the politics. game. Exactly. So. <laughs> I'm not holding it against them. I think my issue with it isn't the legal side of it, but it's like, man, we're really not going to vote on another stimulus package while millions of Americans potentially lose their homes while we're going to push through a Supreme Court justice nomination that really will not have any impact on the current crisis that's facing America. So that's my issue with it. Well, and see, I I disagree with you a little bit on the -hmm. the whole stimulus package thing because I think what Trump did – was actually a good business negotiating tool. He pulled out of the the negotiations because nothing was really getting done. Yeah. And what he said was, hey, listen, you're trying to, to pack this, and we're going to get to packing the courts in mm-hmm. just a second. He goes, but you're trying to pack the stimulus bill with things that don't need to be in the stimulus bill. Mm-hmm. And so let's just let's get all of that off the table, and let's vote on these one at a time. We, we need to bail out the airlines. Give me that, and let me sign that, and let's do it. Let's just... Let's get this other fluff out of here and let's get the help to the the American um, population that they need. Now, right, wrong, is mm-hmm. that the, the, the direction? That's what I saw. Well, it's more for me that, like, you know, what Trump said this week, again, I, I don't know how medication-induced it was, but this has been an issue for long before Trump came out and said that he wanted to stop talks altogether, is they've had months to work on this. McConnell took a recess and voted to not bring the Senate back on emergency voting measures for the stimulus talk. It's very clear, regardless of the president's task, that they have no interest in pursuing a second stimulus package, but they have all the interest in the world in getting their judge nominated and that pushed through. And in my opinion, let's focus on the will of the American people now. To the yeah. like, you know, we. I, I yeah. agree. A hundred percent. Like, mm-hmm. get a get the support and get the 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 help to the people, yeah. and and then let's deal with the judge in a few minutes. But okay, so you're you're telling me that um, the Republicans are trying to get her on there in order to conserve some type of power of conservatism mm-hmm. in the the United States. Well, okay, let's say they get her on there. Isn't packing the courts exactly what the liberals are are they're doing a power move too? Absolutely. And I think what we're seeing now, um, and we saw it in the vice presidential debate, is if Kamala Harris dodged one obvious question, it was Mike Pence asking her if she plans on packing the court. And she did not answer that and did a terrible job dodging it. 
Um, and I should say Pence did an excellent job in keeping holding her accountable. I think she missed a couple opportunities to do the same to him. Um, but that's exactly what we're kind of moving towards is if, you know, I think a lot of people are saying, well, if the Republicans want to be hypocrites, if they want to do everything that they can to cling into power, then if the Democrats are able to take back the White House, the Senate, and the House, yeah, all bets will be off. And I I honestly will say that they need to they need to act with the same kind of self-preservation mindset that the Republicans are. They I I don't see there's no legal consequences to them packing the court just as there's no technical legal consequences to rushing a SCOTUS nomination through despite her being the first ever person to be nominated within after July of a presidential election year. So, yeah, you know, technically legally on both sides it doesn't it doesn't break down. They have every single right to do that under the constitution. And they could, and there's no reason that they shouldn't. Unfortunately, you end up with situations like England where their Supreme Court has over 100 justices on it now, and it gets yeah. a little ridiculous. So, Well, but isn't the Constitution support a two-party system? Not implicitly. I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm a conservative and, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, this is not, uh, and this is why it's so important to vote. Yeah. But is it not just a little scary that the liberals could have all of the every single branch? Like it, that and that's, to me, that's not even a democracy anymore. No, but I think you also have to then rectify what the other side decided to stand for the last four years, which was a total adoption of who Donald Trump is. And unfortunately, if they lose all the power, power because they decided to go with somebody that the majority of the country despises and proves to be an indecent leader, then that is direct consequences of their actions. And that is actually democracy in action more than anything else. Right. But you can't hold Donald Trump against all conservatives. But what you're doing is you're saying because Donald Trump is the president and he's a Republican, he is going to destroy your party and, and your, your beliefs no longer matter. I think to some degree, and that sounds very brutal, but yeah, if you make a deal with the devil, you're going to have to pay that check eventually. And if that's what you're comfortable with, that you are selling your beliefs so far up the creek to believe in somebody that so much of the nation despises and so much of the world views as, you know, a fool, then... Yeah, that is direct consequences, and I think it's also just what we're seeing in terms of real generational shift right now is because we're starting to see the baby boomer generation be replaced by Gen X, be replaced by millennials, and there's a transition of power. It's never smooth. You know, if you think about the last major one that happened, it was the 70s. It was this summer of love and then kind of what happened um, with the 70s and the cynicism of the 80s and everything. So that's what we're experiencing right now. And Wasn't every that time, time period, though, the last time there was a major shift in the, the courts? That is when the courts moved significantly more liberal because, I, I mean, that's just what it is. Like, as society grows and generations pass down, like, society progresses forward whether we like it or not. You know, it's like anytime we see regimes take steps back, 
it's an indicator that they're about to implode. You know, it's like the more ability a country has to focus on social issues, it means that they're doing okay, you know? And so, uh, okay, let me ask this question because I just don't, I don't know it. If the the liberals do win Mm -hmm. and they are able to pack the court. Which, again, it would take a lot to do that. You know, it's not it's not as simple as it sounds. It's not one of these things where like a lot, a lot of Democratic senators have come out and said that they're not in support of packing the court. You know, I think they're just saying, like, listen, if you guys want to do this and we see a bunch of junky decisions coming down from the Supreme Court, then, yeah, we will exercise that right, possibly, if we feel that there is some issue. But But can you float that out there and then not... I mean, once you you kind of start floating an idea, it really starts festering, and then all of a sudden it becomes reality, because you you start believing that you should. Yeah, to a degree, but, I mean, there's still not a wall on the southern border, either. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I guess... What I'm getting at is, if if this happens, am I going to lose all representation? No. I mean, I think that's the other side, that we, we're in a really tumultuous time. But And while I say, like, oh, you know, the conservatives might not be able to recover from this or X, Y, Z, it, it, we live in, a, in a, a republic where the pendulum swings, you know, yeah. and it has flown aggressively to the right the last four years, and it's going to probably swing more liberal than we've seen it. But at some point, it's going to swing back. It just, it is. It. I have faith that the Constitution will protect itself to that level, and I don't foresee a packing the court situation. I think the Democrats are being very smart by not ruling it out because it it keeps the people who are, you know. The leftists, you know, not talking about liberals, but like the more extreme left people, the the real progressives, um, people that might be more closely aligned with like the Green Party ideals. By not throwing that out as a possibility, that's keeping, you know, some of that younger vote, too. So I think they're politicking more than anything with their refusal to condemn that. Okay, so let me ask you this question. The courts have gone more liberal in in the last few years, and, and you kind of um, said that just a second ago. Yeah. Okay, so our country has not been heading in the right direction in in some time. Yeah. So doesn't wouldn't it suffice to say maybe some more conservative approaches might help? clean clean it up because the liberals have been have been deciding in the courts and and uh they've been you know the ones that have said this is this is lawful this isn't lawful mm-hmm. and everything else and we've opened ourselves up into some very serious and and in a lot of people's opinions very difficult situations to back out of yeah absolutely so doesn't it kind of say maybe it's time for that pendulum to swing the other way I think in a lot of branches of government that that argument can be made. But what I would ultimately like to see with the Supreme Court is it's, you know, nine ju- chief justices and um, nine justices. And I would like to see that be representative of the belief system of America. You know, if it's 60 percent liberal, then, yeah, I think the courts should reflect that because I think it's very weird that in some cases, 70 
the 75% of the country could agree with something and this court could go in as the 25% and and knock it down. That that breaks democracy in my opinion. Okay, so then what about terms on these justices because Absolutely. If you I'm go in that full route, full favor of term limits and for all political office. Uh, I think so too. Yeah. If you go that route, these guys are are in here for life and if let's just say the pendulum swings back and and uh, now 60% of the, of the United States becomes uh, conservative. Mm-hmm. Well, you're still going to have a liberal court. Absolutely. So, um, I didn't think you were going to agree with me on that one. I, uh, you, you threw my whole train of thought yeah. off. <laughs> so, um, okay. So uh, last question is, is she good for us or bad for us? I think first and foremost, I'm, uh, she's going to get confirmed. Mm-hmm. Whether we like it or not, she will be the next um, justice of the Supreme Court. Even though she was part of the super spreader. Yes, even though potentially <laughs> her nomination accidentally might have killed the president. Hopefully that doesn't happen at this point in the game. But I think overall it will... I think it will be good for us because it's going to force us to have hard conversations and look at the flexibility of our constitution and kind of look at things that in my opinion might actually be outdated. You know, I think there was a lot of incredible things written by the framers, but I think things like the internet that they didn't really consider have really changed how, you know, civil liberties and our rights look and how they're shaped and protected. And I think if anything, she's going to initiate some hell of a lot of good discussions yeah you know and that's where there is some positivity that can be pulled from this and again it's like roe versus Wade being overturned is just as likely as the democrats ending up deciding to actually try and pack the supreme court they're the extremes they're the fear-mongering rhetoric on both sides and overall we probably won't see much of a difference by this okay I, I've got a, a similar approach. I, I think that um, the court could actually go backwards and, and be in in um, a good place for us. Uh, I think some, some conservatism uh, stepping in there will balance some areas. Um, I'm, a, I'm afraid of a few of her points of view, uh-huh. but I think that the positives are going to outweigh the negatives exactly. in the long run. And exactly. uh, what she's really got coming up that she's going to have to – um, put some some thought into is the the 230th um, amendment with mm-hmm. the the big tech issues coming up exactly Th- this is going to be something that uh, maybe a conservative approach on big tech isn't mm-hmm. a bad thing I agree so I agree. Um, I, I'm I'll be curious to see I, I'm with you I think she's going to be confirmed whether we like it or not mm-hmm. I will be um, also from a parental standpoint i'm excited to see someone who's got some young kids uh get in there and and is going to have a different point of view absolutely so somebody who's dealing with today's issues for our Mm -hmm. youth in my opinion is not a bad thing no absolutely so uh okay that's uh that's it for leaning middle today um if you liked what you heard throw us a like um give us uh, some good reviews hit that subscribe button uh, listen to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you find your, your podcasts and, and make sure you, you spread the word. And, uh, it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right, 
we all got to start leaning to the middle. Yep, and we look forward to exploring that common ground next episode with y'all.